Well, good evening, Mosaic. Glad to, glad to be with you tonight. And uh, hello to those at home as well. I'm Matt. I uh, work with the elementary kids here and love it. Their service is firing it up upstairs over there right now as we speak. And so I'm excited to get back over to them. Uh, but I wanted to come to you tonight because uh, this is, uh, is about to be a bit of a, a special experience. Um, uh, we kind of have a normal way we do things around here. And, and so every once in a while, we just break from that. And, uh, and so this is going to be one of those nights. Uh, it's a night to, uh, in song and in word, just reflect on the story uh, from the, the triumphal entry of Christ through the Holy Week and to the crucifixion. And so uh, it's going to be a great opportunity just to reflect on the story. Uh, it's the story of, of, uh, of the hope that we have together, and it, it's, it's word and it's song. We'll have two other experiences, though, tonight that, that are going to be kind of wrapped up in this. And the first is uh, the communion table. So those at home, if you need to pause now and go collect supplies, please do. Uh, but, but this is an opportunity to, to revisit the story again, the same story we're doing in word and song, but this time in a shared meal, reflecting on what, what God has done on our behalf through Christ. And then second hour, I'm pretty excited. James back here, his son Silas is getting baptized second hour. And so that's, a, that's an opportunity again through the water of baptism to see the story played out for us. And so I, I hope that the, the time together tonight is just an opportunity to see the story, to, to wade into the story and let it, let it kind of surround us and, and really sit in it. So maybe you sing, maybe it's just a quiet hour after a long weekend and a time just to sit and reflect. Um, and so I, I want to just uh, I pray for us now as we step into that. Lord, you're really just good, and we see this week uh, the, the, the ways of a human heart uh, that we're quick to celebrate, uh, like in the triumphal entry, and, and yet we're quick to turn and to jeer when things don't go our way, when our hearts feel uh, just distanced from you or from the things that you're doing. And so uh, we just pray for a humility in this moment to wait on you, to listen to what you have for us, uh, to see the story that you're weaving, and uh, to, to take up that story and jump in with you as you work. We pray in your name. Amen.
it out with us church amen. amen yeah you can celebrate wow we'll good evening friends and family online good to see you uh, tonight is a special night and as Matt said earlier, it will be a little different. Um, one of the things we hope to do in our time together, whether you're online or in this place, is to walk the experience that saints have been walking for millennia now, to actually enter into the narrative and the story of Jesus's triumphal victory to the crucifixion at Golgotha. And so we're actually gonna give ourselves some freedom in this space to be a little more expressive. <laughs> and so uh, it is sunny outside and it is warm and I hope you had a really good day, I did. And we're actually gonna begin our time with Jesus's triumphal entry. And uh, before we do, out of a, a tone of celebration, would you read aloud this prayer with me? Lion of Judah, 
to usher in God's reign. Lamb of God, for the sins of the world slain. And man of sorrows, who bore our pain loud and proud. King Jesus, Prince of Peace, all glory be to you. So if you'll follow me, and you gotta kinda use your imagination tonight. Let's go uh, to the streets of Jerusalem together. And uh, this is not just any day on the streets of Jerusalem. This is the Passover, meaning it is one of the uh, primary festivals, a pilgrimage festival uh, for Jews all across the world. And so at this time, I want you, if you can, maybe you need to close your eyes and picture it. Uh, This is an already kind of small city that is way overpacked with people, bringing in over 100,000 plus Jews speaking all different languages and tongues coming together to remember God liberating the Israelites from Egypt. And so maybe if you can, try to picture what do you see on these streets and first century Jerusalem. (laughs) Maybe you see the extended families already packing into the the homes and the apartments and and the alleyways are all booked and full or maybe the street vendors, you can smell it, yeah? The food trucks of Jesus's day getting ready for a pretty big event. And it is on those streets of Jerusalem standing just east of the city on the Mount of Olives Jesus of Nazareth with his disciples. And he's making his way into the city. Look with me, Matthew chapter 21. And as they, Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Not my first choice of transportation for a king. (laughs) And not only that, I mean, Jesus doesn't come in on the donkey. He comes in on the the fowl. So again, use your imagination here. Here's a full-grown Jesus of Nazareth coming into town on the baby donkey. Like Maybe a chariot would be more fitting for a king. How about a war horse, right? I mean, this is a triumphal entry. Let's armor that bad boy up and get Jesus into the city, but no, Jesus is doing something very significant in this moment. As usual, he's taking the symbolism of their day and beginning to reshape it for the world to see and know. See, centuries before on these very same streets of Jerusalem, there was a prophet by the name of Zechariah. And Babylon had come in and taken over Jerusalem and these war-torn, darkened by the oppressive rule of Babylon streets. Zechariah proclaims this. Read aloud with me. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is legitimate and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. He will announce peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. And as Jesus comes closer into town, this is something symbolic for the people of Israel. See, as they're celebrating Passover, here comes Jesus of Nazareth, who, by the way, just rose one of his best friends from the dead. (laughs) I mean, this guy's the real deal. And so you have these Jews from all over crowded in the streets, and they see from the Mount of Olives... 
This person's claiming kingship. He's a Messiah. He is bringing in and ushering in the kingdom of God. See, this would not be the first king in ancient Israel to travel these streets on a donkey. Many kings before had come through those very same gates riding as a symbol of peace, but all of them, they fell short until now. See, Jesus' entry as the king into Jerusalem would be one of peace, not war. The prince of peace, he is the one who establishes God's reign and rule. He has come and healed the sick, given sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoner, and proclaimed the good news of God's kingdom to every single person he's met. Jesus is the only king, the king of glory, the son of the living God, Yahweh in the flesh, not just another king on a donkey, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. The legitimate, victorious, humble king had come to town. Are you ready to celebrate? Luke 19, verse 37. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, where the crowd of disciples joyfully began to proclaim, they would lay down palm branches as a symbol of victory and they would take off their coats and throw them before Jesus as a sign of submission and together with a loud voice, they would say, blessed is the king who comes. We gotta celebrate. I told you, online, I think y'all were louder than we were in here. Loud and proud, let's go. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And they're ready, and this is starting to attract a crowd, and the disciples keep getting louder and louder. The king is here. He has arrived. And the Pharisees are starting to get a little jealous. And they go, hey, Jesus, you gotta stop. You're kind of messing up our Passover vibe here. Can you tell your people to be quiet? And he says, I, I, you don't wanna do that. See, if you do that, the stones in the street, they're gonna cry out. And all the way as Jesus continues toward the temple, they continue, hundreds of thousands of Jews coming alongside to see the spectacle and joining in saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us now. And they are expecting an earthly king. Every Passover, they've come together and waited for the Messiah, the King of God, to come. And here he is. And in the midst of the shouts of praise, with such a celebratory moment, the crowds continue to grow around Jesus. But he knew what these next days had in store. Luke 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and with the shouts of praise continuing to rise and the disciples singing louder and louder, Jesus has quite a strange reaction. He wept over it. See, they wanted an earthly king to come overthrow the Roman Empire and what they were gonna get was not a warrior who was gonna come shed the blood of his enemies. God had something more beautiful in play. And he said with tears in his eyes, if you, even you, Jerusalem, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. 
And as he continued down the streets of Jerusalem with the shouts and the celebration and the victory cries, they would soon reject Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus, our King. that gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children
Come on, sing it out. Pray with me. Lion of Judah, to usher in God's reign. Lamb of God, for the sins of the world slain. Man of sorrows who bore our pain. King Jesus, Prince of Peace, all glory be to you. Family, you may take a seat. And uh, following his victorious, triumphal entry, everyone was beginning to recognize something different was taking place in the city. Jesus then, after riding the young donkey all the way to the temple, would pull quite the public stunt as he would go into the temple courts and publicly uh, call out and rebuke the corruption of the religious leaders. From then, he would not go into hiding. He would go straight back out to the streets to continue to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And every day, his disciples and him would continue to share that the kingdom of God had come and here is your king. And at night, they would go and camp out on the Mount of Olives together and pray. And they would do that for a few days until it, uh, it, it took quite a turn. See, the religious elite, they weren't having it anymore, and they were just ready to enjoy their Passover and get rid of this anarchist, this rebel, this one who claims to be our king. And just like the prophets of old, when a king felt threatened by them, they would come and try to burn the scroll of the prophet's word, speaking the very word of God, so it was now with the religious leaders. They were ready to get rid of this Jesus at whatever cost. So Jesus then does something unique. He takes his disciples and he tells them this. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So here's Jesus now. He's got his hood on. Is <laughs> a little bit more quiet and, and starting to realize these are about the last eight hours he'll have before things go down in Jerusalem. And so he sends his disciples in a very secret way. Hey, go find this man. He has a secret room prepared for us where we can eat the Passover meal. And then Jesus meets his disciples in what is known as the upper room, as a, a secret room where he and his disciples could come and gather. And if you're thinking Leonardo da Vinci, get it out of your head. <laughs> That's not how they did it. It wasn't all this big table and they're all looking at each other. It was, no, it would have been kind of like Middle Eastern meals now where you would come at a lower table and you'd be close together and you'd lay down and they would enjoy this festive meal together. And the disciples, mind you, they, they grew up knowing this meal. 
They've had this several times. And at a good Passover meal, there were four things you always had. Number one, you would have unleavened bread. Two, you would have the best wine. We have juice. You would have uh, the sacrificial lamb, a representation of a, a lamb that would be uh, killed and roasted on this day. And then you would have bitters, bitter herbs. And all of this would root itself back in a practice from ancient Israel, where when living enslaved to the Israel, uh, living enslaved to the Egyptians, excuse me, God would come in and tell his people to slay a Passover lamb and to wipe its blood on the doorpost and then to eat it. And they would make unleavened bread, which was not to, to be, uh, to take time to cook, but it would be quick. You could eat it because the Israelites were soon to be on the run because God would redeem them. And then the cup would represent the blood of the lamb on their doorposts that would cover the people of Israel, God's people. And then the bitters, the herbs would be eaten to remember the pain and the suffering that they went through. And so in come the disciples to eat the last supper Luke 22, verse 14, and when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table together, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. And they're thinking, of course, master and friend, the kingdom is coming. You're, you're here. We're doing this thing. And then he says this, leave it to Jesus to kind of kill the mood before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. <laughs> and the disciples, still in festive mode, are thinking, well, okay. <laughs> so can, can we start eating? And so Jesus then would have begun to pass the bread. And if you have it, go ahead and open it up. And hold it, and we'll take and eat together here in a second. And Jesus took the bread after a ritual washing of their feet uh, where he would show himself as a servant. And they recall now Jesus saying that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus would then take the bread, Luke 22, verse 19, and he would give a blessing for it. And I thought about trying to do the Hebrew blessing, but we got like Hebrew PhDs in here. <laughs> and I don't want to embarrass myself. So we'll do it in English. Jesus would take the bread and he would say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. And then he would take it and break it. And then they would eat. And as the disciples, still in festive mode, are eating, again, leave it to Jesus to kill the mood. And he says, this is my body given for you. <laughs> you can imagine Peter in that moment. <laughs> and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples are starting to realize, okay, Jesus is doing something different here. And then Jesus would move into the next portion of the meal and he would take the cup. And he would give it a Hebrew blessing saying, blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe who creates the fruit of the vine. And they would raise it and they would take and they would drink. And then Jesus said, this is my cup of a new covenant in which my blood will be poured out for you. 
And then the disciples start to realize something. We've had the bread, we've had the wine, where's the lamb? Isn't it time to eat the lamb, Jesus? And then they realize, as he says, the new covenant, exactly what he's saying. Hear now the word of the Lord from the prophet of Jeremiah proclaiming, indeed, a time is coming, says the Lord, Well, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and minds, and I will be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their sin and will no longer call to mind the wrong they have done. And though they entered that upper room, free and in good company, Jesus would soon be abandoned and arrested. Yahweh in the flesh, our King.
Lord. 
so Jesus and his disciples are wrapping up in that upper room. And uh, it's starting to sink in a little bit for them. Oh, he's serious. He's really going to die. And Jesus tells them another surprise. You will betray me. Now, there's one in particular who's already made plans. He hasn't appreciated the way Jesus has handled his money. (laughs) And uh, he's going to take his business elsewhere as Judas leaves that upper room to go do the enemy's bidding. And Jesus, after praying and spending a little more time with his disciples in that room, does something that he did on a moment-by-moment daily basis. See, Jesus loved spending time in gardens. (laughs) One of my favorite Greek words, the term eremos. That Jesus, Eremos, he would go to a desolate, a quiet place to be alone and to pray with the Father. And so Jesus, uh, as per usual, says to his disciples, let us go pray. Now something beautiful is happening for a student in the scripture. See, this whole biblical narrative, it started where? garden. And God's presence came into that garden and there was a man named Adam. And God wanted to come alongside Adam and Eve to be co-rulers, image bearers who would take his glory to the ends of the earth. And in that garden, rebellion. See, Adam lost the heritage of a union with God in a garden, but now... Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus ushered in the restoration where? In the garden. Eden and Gethsemane would be two primary gardens in the scriptures. And here, uh, all the fate of humanity revolves around. See, in Edom, Adam sinned, but in Gethsemane, Jesus takes humanity's sin upon himself. In Eden, Adam hides himself from God in shame. But here in Gethsemane, Jesus comes and he intercedes with his father. In Eden, God sought out Adam in his sin and rebellion. But in Gethsemane, Jesus seeks his father's will and obedience. And to experience together, again, we want to join into the story. Jesus gives an invitation to his followers to pray. And I'd love to invite you to do the same. So would you posture yourself, close your eyes, bow your heads. And would you just take a moment and thank Jesus for what he's about to do in this garden. A lion of Judah to usher in God's reign. Lamb of God for the sins of the world slain. Man of sorrows who bore our pain. King Jesus, Prince of Peace. All glory be to you. Amen. 
And when he had finished praying, Jesus with his disciples crossed what is known as the Kidron Valley, another symbolic significant moment for Israel. See, it was in this place that King David would flee. Not this king. This king goes the other way, right into the hands of his oppressors. And on the other side, there was that garden and he and his disciples went into it. And while they're there, as if you could see in the darkness, torches making their way from the city. And Jesus tells his disciples, look, the hour has come and the son of man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, my disciples, let us go, for here comes my betrayer. And Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Two incredible enemies, the religious elite and the Roman Empire, have now married one another to arrest this king. And they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons as if this Messiah was some criminal or murderer. And Judas betrays his king with a kiss on the cheek. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. And as soon as he said, I am he, it's, this is God in the flesh, Yahweh in the flesh, speaking the I am statement like Moses on the burning bush. I am, Jesus says, and they fall. And again, he asked them as they get back up, who is it that you want? And they say, a little more nervous this time, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answers, I tell you, I am he. And you're looking for me and let my friends go. See this, he even fulfills a prophecy as he had promised and prayed for his disciples in the upper room that not one of them would be taken or lost. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and he cuts off the ear of a high priest's servant. And Jesus commands Peter, Put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? See, this God-man, Yahweh in the flesh, his kingdom won't come through the blood of his enemies. It won't be the blood of sinners that is shed. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and they bound him. They would soon falsely accuse and scorn the most innocent man who ever lived. Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus, their king. opportunity to put yourself in Jesus's shoes. Listen to these songs through the lens of Jesus with his father. 
as he and his father were tight through all of this. He took everything to his father. He never took his eyes off his father. He trusted him because Jesus was 100% God, yes, but he was 100% man. And he felt these moments deeply. So listen to these songs, sing these songs with Jesus. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, I'll hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. And if the storms of life, they come and the road ahead gets steep, I will lift these hands in faith and I will
Lion of Judah, tusher in God's reign. Lamb of God for the sins of the world slain. Man of sorrows who bore our pain. King Jesus, Prince of Peace, all glory be to you. So the chief priest in Sanhedrin have him. He's bound. And uh, it's the wee hours of the morning. And a few things are wrong with this picture, friends. Number one, this is the Passover festival. The chief priest, the leaders of the Sanhedrin should be at home with their families celebrating. But here they are in the darkness with the king of heaven and earth bound. This is uh, something the, um, the Romans could only do, crucifying someone. So the Sanhedrin decide, we'll just keep them until morning. And uh, reluctantly, the Jews um, wait, and then they fulfill the words of the prophet of Isaiah, here now from the word of the Lord. The suffering servant was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. For we have turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, and it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. For all us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own way. And yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, a sheep before shears, he did not even open his mouth. He was led away to an unjust trial, but who even cared? And those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest's house where the teachers of the law and the elders, they assembled, and the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could finally put him to death. And Jesus, not saying a word, and as painful as it is, can you imagine being in Caiaphas' house early in the morning, no disciples around, just Jesus and the Sanhedrin, and they begin to scream and insult 
and all the pent-up anger they've had since the streets of Jerusalem when he was on that donkey, they're letting him have it. But Jesus, he remained silent. And after some time of harassing and mocking and tormenting him, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Messiah. Tell us if you're the son of God. And he finally speaks. You've said so, Jesus replies. But I say to all of you from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest screamed, blasphemy. And they begin to tear their clothes and say, he spoke in blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now we've heard this blasphemer. What do you think? And they begin to shout, he's worthy of death. And they spit in his face. And they take turns striking him with their fist. And they slap him and they say, prophesy to us, Messiah. Tell us who hit you. And as morning came, Good Friday, they could finally get this Jesus to Pontius Pilate. And meanwhile, Jesus stands before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. And Pilate just can't quite get there. Why? Why are they killing this man? And so they bring him out and a whole mob is formed by this point. The same ones who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna would now shout something completely opposite. And the chief priests and the elders, they persuade the crowd. They say, give us Barabbas. See, it was custom on the Passover that Pontius would, the Roman Empire would release a criminal of the Jews and they want this murderer so that they could have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Says Pontius Pilate and Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Messiah? They answered, crucify him. Crucify him. Why, Pontius says, what crime has this king committed? And all the louder, no longer Hosanna. Crucify him. And he released Barabbas to them. Here's the murderer. And he had Jesus flocked and he handed him over to be crucified. And the governor's soldiers took Jesus and the Praetorium, the Roman fort saved for the most wicked of criminals. 
And they gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. And after they mocked him, they took off his robe and put his clothes on him. And they led him away, not on a donkey, not to a throne, but with a cross to Golgotha. And just days before, they greeted him with shouts of praise, and now they were about to crucify and kill Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus, our King.
It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Demons. 